You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. If you're, I don't know, I mean, most of you all were here last week, but we didn't get uh, to record last week because I accidentally bumped the charger out of the computer. Um, and the computer died mid-recording. So we got about 19 minutes, and then it just abruptly ends. So I re-recorded it this, uh, this morning. Um, so I've been excited for this word all day, um, just to build upon it. I kind of like that, um, re-recording it, because it's very, very fresh on what we talked about last week. And um, So we're going to hit the ground uh, running this evening. Uh, try to get home before it starts getting way too cold. But last week, what we discussed, the, the primary thing that we've discussed, and just a, a quick review again, we've, we've been talking about prayer and worship for the last, what has now been seven months. Six of those months has been on prayer. Prayer alone, we've focused six months and dedicated six months of time to, which has just been profound and amazing. And Really examining these two because these two are the most foundational, fundamental tools that the Lord has given us to use for revelation, understanding, and, and seeking, finding, knocking, being open to us, and, and diving deeper into the heart of God and understanding the heart of God in a deeper way. He's given us these two things to fall back on in so many instances, but unfortunately for the church... Most Christians, we know so very little about these things. We only know what has been modeled to us by somebody else who didn't know very much. That's what we know. We worship in church. We worship in our lives because worship is more than just praise and worship, right? Praise is found within worship. Just like fasting is found within prayer. It's, it's found within this category of worship. Because worship is not just about the musical worship that we get to do on a Sunday or that we get to sing in our car. It is about the way that we live our life. Because what we talked about uh, the first week in January is that worship is abandonment to self in the pursuit of Him. Complete and total abandonment of who I am, what I am, what I want to do, in pursuit of who He is. And we think that that's a... Uh, a big step that we have to take, but we were made for Him. And so it's, it's stepping into what you're naturally meant to be doing, right? It's not to do anything abnormal. So we've kind of made it in Christian culture in the Western world that to serve God is almost, well, you're kind of set on a different path. It's like, no, you're set on the most natural path that you could ever be set on. To live for Him is, is the path that all of us were meant to walk. It's what we we're created for. And we talked about that in our first week. And then last week we talked about the fact that worship is obedience. Worship is obedience. But obedience is not always convenient. And the challenge in living a life of obedience is facing things that you cannot control or explain. Things that don't happen the way that we anticipated. And unfortunately, a life of obedience, we... we hinge on this point of whether it is what we expected or not. And if it's not what we expected, we step back. We step away. We don't want the unexpected. We don't want the ununderstood. 
We want to fully grasp and fully know and fully expect and fully direct the obedience of the Spirit of God. And so we miss things. The trick in a life of obedience, which is worship, is to realize that it's only difficult. This life of obedience is only difficult when we are trying to direct God instead of partnering with God. It's a lot easier to partner with somebody than to go against somebody. It's a lot easier to to partner with them than wage war against them. It's a lot easier to be joyful than it is to be angry. It is a lot more beneficial. And it's the same here. But to try to direct God is not worship and it is not obedience. Because worship, again... Excuse me, is the abandonment of self in the pursuit of him. We talked about it in Isaiah 55 that his ways and his thoughts are not ours, and that his word, when he speaks it, does not return void. He operates outside of all that contains us, everything that we are, we are held within time, the day and night, everything that he created in Genesis 1, we are held within these things. He is outside of these things, right? It's the same as. Apple, the people at Apple that create phones and computers, they are the creators of those products. They are not held and confined to those products because they are the creators. Therefore, they are outside of them, just as God is outside of us. And in John 16, he has sent us, Jesus talks about how he will send us the spirit of truth to lead us into all truth. He will not speak of his own accord, but he will only speak what the Father has given him to say. And he will lead us into all truth. And he also calls him the helper, not the one who needs help. It's important for us to understand that. There's a lot of things, a lot of subtle things that he says that would bring so much understanding if we would just pay attention to what we read. He is not the one who needs help. He is the helper. He is here with us to guide us into truth, not to have us guide him into truth. So what we can see with worship, the two things that we've talked about thus far is that worship, again, is abandonment and worship is obedience. So worship is simply partnering with God. If you just look at those two things, worship is simply partnering with God. Your life, each and every day, you have the opportunity to partner with Him. Again, I've talked about this, I don't know how many conversations I've had, but I have been captivated by this thought that He goes before us. I can't stop thinking about it and the implications that that has because I know what it is when I find him in a time of need, when I discover him in a valley. But the thing is, is he's been waiting in that valley since the moment I started my journey towards it with provision to see me through it, that I would not dwell there forever, but that he would have everything I needed to nurture me and to lead me out of it. And then he's also there on the mountaintop. He goes before us. He establishes provision before us. And so partnering with God is the recognition of where He is in your day. And the choosing to be with Him, the choosing to partner with Him in what He has already established for you in the day. It's the easiest thing that we could do. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what you're going to need before the need arises. But when we direct Him, we miss it. And we end up in turmoil. How many times have we prayed to God with, an expect, with not an expectation, but with a preference of how He should answer that prayer, and then we find ourselves in turmoil and disappointment when that's not the way it's answered? Even the dreams, even the promises that the Lord has spoken to us, we start putting preferences around them. 
and we become disappointed because that, it didn't, that didn't work. One of the easiest examples for me, I talked about it a little bit on Sunday, but I, since I was a little boy, a 10-year-old in a, in a deer blind in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, I prayed that the Lord would someday give me land of my own, that I could just get on a horse and go, and just go and go and go. I own six acres. You can't just go and go and go. You can't, it's, right, that's right, it's a circle. It goes forever, it's a circle. Yeah, I can do that. But I also have land as far as the eye can see to the south, to the east, and to the north of me. And then I just happen to have a friend, a trailer right away, with thousands of acres. And then I just happen to have a few friends that run the mallet, and they have 53,000 acres. The Lord didn't answer the promise in the way that I began to put a preference around that it would all be mine. But he has given me unlimited access. And in that, an incredible blessing. Because you know who doesn't have to pay taxes on 53,000 acres? This guy. And it's awesome. I'm sure it's awesome. Six acres is enough taxes for me. I don't want to pay any more than that. But the Lord has answered that. He has honored the promise. He has honored the prayer. But not in the way that I thought it would look. But what if I had stuck to my guns? No, Lord, this is not the way you said. This is not the way I asked, actually. It's not the way that he said. It's not the way I asked. I would miss the blessing of the promise in the way that I needed it. Not in the way that I wanted it. There's a big difference between the things that we want and the things that we actually need. We all know that. We have that conversation with our kids all the time. My little brother, it was, it was a mantra of his. It was his, it was his battle cry when he was a child. You'd hear a TV on somewhere. It didn't matter where in the house. You'd just hear, I want that. Hey, hey, I want that. At a commercial with a toy on it. That was all it was. My parents didn't get everything that he said he wanted. They got him some of those things, but they mostly got him the things that he needed. And he's now the most financially wise of all of us. No debt. Paid cash for all of his cars. Just bought his first house. A beautiful, amazing house. He's 26. Him and his wife have incredible, incredibly successful careers. They're 26-year-olds making silly money. And I know this, this is on a... Sorry, Eric, if you listen. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. But you're doing good, buddy. Um, because he didn't get everything he wanted, he got what he needed. That's what a good parent does, Right? They give you some of the wants, but they give you mostly what you need. Even the things you don't think you need. And that's what the Lord does. And that's what we get to have and receive if we partner with Him. But if we try to direct Him, we, we don't get anything. We don't get what we want or what we need. Because we miss it all. We will drive right past Him. Right past the provision. Right past the blessing that He's established in this day for you. We'll miss it and we find ourselves in turmoil and frustration. Joining Him. And how he is moving, working, and directing is what we're meant for. And that is worship. Worship is partnering with God. You cannot worship him if you are directing him. And today, what I want to talk about <coughs> is just this simple truth. It's three words. Worship is power. Worship is power. 
when we abandon ourselves in pursuit of Him who is greater, when we live in obedience to Him, a heart that says yes to Him and remains in that place and lives this life of worship because that, what, that is what a life of worship requires and that's what it takes is a heart that says yes and remains firmly rooted and firmly planted in this place of yes. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter where I have to go. I say yes to King Jesus, period. You will not move me from that rock. Upon this hill I will die. I will say yes to God. When a heart stands in that place, that is a life of worship. And in that place, there is power. Go ahead and turn with me to Matthew 4. That's where we'll start this evening. Read a couple scriptures here. This is another common passage that we've read time and time again. But if you read the scriptures and allow the Lord to define what you're looking at, there are lessons after lessons after lessons after lessons in the same group of scriptures and you would have never thought the last time you read that this lesson that you're learning now in this same passage would have been the lesson that you're learning now in this passage. I've read this. We've read this not long ago. The temptation of Jesus being in the wilderness. We've read this. We read this when we were talking about prayer, when we were talking about fasting. And I was just focused on the fasting bit. But now we're going to look at the worship bit that I didn't even know was there. Until the Lord brought me there. That's the beauty of Scripture. It's written by God. <coughs> it has many meanings that He interprets and He reveals to us. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led up by the Spirit. That's important to, to note. Verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on, a, on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of all the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. There are several things that happen here, um, so much that points to the worship unto God that we're meant for, that we're meant to see. Again, Jesus is perfect theology. If we have a question about what this life is meant to look like for me, the way I'm meant to commune with God, the relationship, what it's supposed to look like, look at the Son of God who is our brother, who is the first of us. He came, he lived in the flesh, lived as a man, fully as a man, fully as God, that we would see what he was about to make open and available to us. The life and the relationship that we're meant for. So there are several things to see here. The first thing is that Jesus, as it reads in verse 1, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the, spirit, by the Spirit with purpose and Jesus yielded to Him, not self. What is worship? Worship is abandonment of self in the pursuit of Him. What do we see right there in the very first scripture? 
He abandoned self in pursuit of God. He allowed the Spirit to lead him into a place that he knew was about to be difficult. The wilderness is not a place of ease and comfort. It is a place that is difficult. The second thing, he fasted. Jesus will soon teach. He hasn't taught on this yet, but he will soon teach in the, in the next two chapters. He will begin to teach on the importance for us to fast. This is one, this is obedience. And two, he leaves this fast empowered and equipped because what happens immediately after the 40 days and 40 nights? It's then he's tempted. I think sometimes, I know for me personally, I've read those things as, as happening around the same time. That as he's fasting, he's being tempted. That's not what happened. That's important for us to see as well. The Lord has anointed that for the equipping and the building up for revelation and power to be deposited into the believer for what comes next. It's the point of fasting. It's for what comes next. And we see that. Jesus fasted in obedience to the Father that he would soon teach us about the purpose of fasting and why we need to fast. And then he leaves this fast empowered and equipped and then into temptation by the devil. When we worship Him with our lives, when we worship God with our lives, it is not only place, it not only, excuse me, it not only places us where we need to be, but He equips us with all that we need for that moment. In the fasting, He was empowered, He was equipped. He walked in obedience, He said yes to God and what He had for Him, and in that, He was placed where He needed to be placed. There needed to be a proving to Him of what he had received and what the Lord had imparted to him, what the Lord had deposited to him in that time. And then and he gets to see that in, in the tempting with the devil, and he is fully equipped with all that he needs to, to be seen through it. And it's also important to recognize that he, it's, it's noted here that he was hungry. He, he was struggling. 40 days and 40 nights ain't no joke. It's not like he was all of a sudden comfortable. We need to understand that the Lord is the God of comfort, but he never promises an easy road. He never promises a physically comfortable road, but he does say he will comfort as only he can comfort. He will touch the inner parts of you, the depths of your heart that only he can comfort and only he can mend. That's what he's talking about. Because there have been plenty of days where it's not felt like a God of comfort is leading me. Right? Because it's like, I, I'm not doing anything that's physically comfortable right now. It's all very uncomfortable. But it is still the God of comfort that leads. That holds your heart tenderly and lovingly. He equips us, though, with all we need. Even in moments of physical weakness, you are equipped. And that is not a measure of your equipping. Okay, these are just side notes. But your physical state is not a measure of your spiritual equipping. And a lot of times we as Christians tie those two things together. I was, I was sharing this with Danny and Amy a little bit ago. No one knew this, but the night before, Saturday night, before Sunday, I was running fever. Sunday morning I was running fever. And it broke before church. So I came. But I kept my distance, powered up, I, lots of drugs, just swallowing them whole. Very sick, though. Got up on stage, start worshiping, felt great. Got off, thought I was going to pass out right there. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. Got up on stage to start preaching, felt amazing. 
sat back down, felt horrible. Like sickness was just, the Lord kept it right there in the front row. And it's important, the Lord uses sickness to make me stop and slow down for a little bit and take a break, as he uses snow days, right? To make you stop and rest, because you just don't seem to get that you need it. So he'll do things like that to hit you in the head and just rest for a second. And that's how, that's what, if I'm sick, it's normally the Lord saying, you won't listen, so now you're going to be bedridden. Now you have to rest, because you're stubborn. But he never promised that I would always feel great physically. But he gave me all that I need. There was provision for the moment, because we had a lot to do on Sunday. So Sunday was an important day. And the Lord knew it. And he provided for all that we need. We see in verse 1, we see Jesus led into the wilderness by the Spirit. And then in verse 11, we see Jesus leave the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, released through the power of worship. Because he had abandoned himself in pursuit of Jesus, he had walked in, or in pursuit of God, and he had walked in complete and total obedience. He was released through the power of worship, his life being dedicated to him. And because we know what happens immediately after he is released from the wilderness, and that is that he begins his ministry. He is released absolutely by the power of the Spirit. He is released upon the world in that moment as he comes out because it starts immediately. Verse 12 is Jesus' ministry. And away it goes. Profound, 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 until he rises from the grave and just more profound. Just continues. But he is empowered from that place. And so it's important for us to see that his ministry is a ministry of power and it started and he gained that power. He was empowered because he lived a life of worship. He was abandoned to self in pursuit of him, walking in obedience, and because of that we saw power. Worship is power. Exodus 17 will be the next example that we look at. This is another amazing passage. Verse 8 is where we'll be. Um, this will be familiar as we start reading to all of us in here. Uh, we've ta- I've taught on it a couple times before. Randy's taught on it. It's profound. I think it's underrated in the Christian church. We don't, we don't pay enough attention to it. Uh, chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will, send, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joseph did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword." A literal demonstration of worship being power. A literal demonstration of abandonment, a literal demonstration of obedience, and a literal demonstration of power in worship. As he prays, as he lifted his hands to God, he saw victory. But not just him. All those around him and with him saw victory as well. That's the power of worship. It is not just us that will reap the benefits. What did we read in Psalm 25? 
the man's yes, his obedience to God, his children will inherit that land. They will stand upon the blessing of their father, the one who said yes first. And the beautiful thing also about that passage is that because the father said yes, the children inherit a land of yes. They don't know any other answer to God. Worship is power for generations. Our yes is power for generations. It is a literal demonstration. And it was not just his victory, but all of his people. Everyone that was around him, everyone that was associated with him. A nation saw victory as a result of a man's worship. And not just his worship, but those around him. Because those around him had the eyes to see and the ears to hear that when he stopped worshiping, (coughs) they stopped winning. And so they came and they held his hands for him that he could continue to worship. They worship in unity. What does the Lord say about more than one united in spirit? There is the kingdom. That's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord releases. Worship is power. But not the power of the world where we wrestle and personal strength and that's what we use to overcome. That's what we use to demonstrate powers through this toil and through this fighting and clawing and and grabbing, and, that, and that's how we show strength, and that's how we overcome, and that's how we show power and demonstrate power in the world. But the power of the Spirit is only made manifest through surrender, through our recognition of need, through our recognition of need of Him and our surrender to Him, do we see the power of God. Abandonment of self, obedience, a life of obedience, we will see the power of a life of worship. And that is desperately what the world needs. The world needs the demonstration of power. But it doesn't come because we go out to show them power. It comes because we personally make the decision that I will abandon my life in pursuit of Him. And my yes will be unwavering, unshakable, and forever. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how uncertain I am about it. I will trust without borders and I will say yes to God. And in that place will the world see a demonstration of power. Because a life of worship unto God is power. We are His hands and His feet. You can see power through these hands and feet, but only as they are guided and directed by me. It's a, it's, a, it's a fun lesson that I get to have uh, with my boys, just because we have horses. Um, but I, I, I get a piece of rebar, and I make them hold it across their chest. I'm trying to teach them how to use a bit in a horse's mouth. So I'll let them start walking. I'm holding that. I'll say, whoa, boom, ow, and feel great. Like, turn this way, turn that way, turn this way, turn that way. They are seeing a demonstration of the power that they are about to have over the vessel that they're about to be given. But their hands, without any understanding, without the mind having any understanding of what they're holding on to and what they're doing, 
will not understand the power that they wield. If we do not say yes to God, we will not understand the power that weighs and that lays upon us each and every day. It is only by our yes to God do we have eyes to see and ears to hear and we can understand the power that is on each and every one of us and the power that is meant to be put on display through each and every one of us. Because a life that is surrendered to Him is a life of power. Not a life of weakness. Not a life of... uh, Meekness, right? Meekness is a, I have trouble with that word. Because I th- people will say, you know, your wife is, there's just a meekness about her. I'm like, you don't live with her. <laughs> she got a bite. Don't, don't confuse quiet stillness with weakness, Right? One of the things that attracted me the most to my wife is that she didn't say a lot. But when she did speak, you better listen. And that is the purpose and the call on us. It's not to be this powerful display that we go around, and we're not meant to be these quiet, timid little people that walk around either. We're meant to be these silent giants in our community that we don't speak unless the Lord gives us words to say, but when we have words to say, it cuts through the heart of everything around us. And sometimes it's not even words. Where in this passage of Exodus did it say Moses was speaking? He wasn't speaking victory. He was standing in a position, in a posture for victory. And it was surrender. Reaching to the heavens, stretched out to God, recognizing that it must be His victory and His alone. And when we live in this place of abandonment and surrender and obedience, I am complete. If I stand here in a boxing match, what point? of defense do I have? I have none. That's what power in the kingdom looks like. Who stood like this and saved all of us? Conquered the grave, the one thing that held all of us. And like this. Hey, hung. Arms spread wide in what a, a position that the world would say is vulnerable. But if the world says you look vulnerable, praise God, because you are abundantly powerful. But a life of power can only be when we abandon ourselves in pursuit of Him and live with a yes in our hearts. And then we will see a life of power because worship is power. And when you worship unto God in abandonment of self and a yes in your heart, that is worship. And there is power. It is cohesive. They go together. You cannot see one without the other. If your yes is yes, In your heart to Him, you will see power made manifest in your story. Period. Walls will come crumbling down. The enemy will flee as he feels you approaching and coming. You will change the atmosphere. That was one of my favorite things to teach my kids as a youth pastor, was the ability to enter a room and that atmosphere yield to you now. But that is only, that only happens, not because of Parker, Not because of any one of us, only happens because of the spirit that I get to carry and that I'm surrendered to. Amen? That's our our third lesson on worship. It's this understanding that worship is power. But it can only be power if I live a life of abandonment. Reckless abandonment, one of my favorite terms, to be recklessly abandoned to God. That if it costs me everything, It cost me everything. 
and then to live a life of yes. And you really can't live recklessly abandoned with a no in your heart. Those two things will exist. If you are willing to be abandoned to God, there will be a yes in your heart. And then there will be power in your life.